We uh, are now, I guess, officially into the Christmas season. I know the mall started somewhere on the 4th of July, but um, we're in the season. And um, so I just have to ask, how many of you uh, love the Christmas season? Just raise your hand. Oh, whoa, lots of you. Cool. And some people really go nuts with like Christmas trees. How many people love Christmas trees? Oh, I got a few tree nuts. And one husband pointing like, yeah, she, she goes... All right, here come, I'll just get more honest as we go along in the season. Seasonal questions. How many people like fruitcakes? Okay, a couple wives raised their hand talking about their husbands. I'm just kidding. Uh, all right, here's another seasonal question. How many people like the fiscal cliff? No, no, no. I think, why do we have to talk about something like, couldn't they name it like the fiscal slope? I mean, you know, at a time where giving and joy, we're talking about a national crisis with the word cliff. Could we save that to like maybe January? So I'm like, hey, kids, it's going to be popsicle sticks this week, uh, this Christmas, because we're on a cliff. So not many people really like the, it's amazing what people love. The different things that we love. Some people love pet crocodiles. Um, and now, you know, the, the T-shirts that say, I heart, you know, New York. I love New York. You've seen those. Well, it got me to thinking about what things, the, all the crazy things we love. And so I got on the Internet, the highway to, you know, um, information. And so um, I came up with, a, I saw a couple T-shirts, weird things. Like, I love coleslaw. Now, I like coleslaw, but I'm not sure I'd be like wearing a t-shirt that says, I love coleslaw, or I love adjectives. I mean, they're good. Is that an adjective? No, that's an adverb. Um, probably teachers. Any teachers in the room? School teachers? Yeah. Do you guys love uh, adjectives? No. They're just all right. That's what I figured. I don't know who. How about this? I love chickens. Uh, that was a cow, I guess, that loves that. Um, I would, I'm not sure I'd wear that one. I love to win. I mean, it sounds a little braggadocious. I wouldn't wear this one either. I love credit cards. That, that doesn't seem. Do not buy your spouse one of those, all right? How about this? I love termites. Now, we had a couple bug guys that have a bug business. Uh, you know, man, they love termites. In fact, they have a living because of termites. And uh, here's one for uh, Clay Barnett. I love uh, mustaches, you know. That's a, and finally, how about this one? For all those cyclists out there, I'm sorry. <laughs> I love steroids, yes. There's a problem. I know with me, you already figured that out. But there's a problem with this word love. And we talked a little bit about this back in the summer. But it's actually a dual problem. It's a, there, first of all, we use the word love for everything, right? I love my wife. I love God. I love my kids. I love coleslaw. And I love steroids. Um, I'm joking on the podcast. I don't actually love steroids, but some people obviously do love. So we have all these different things that we love, and it is okay to love coleslaw, but I wish that we had a different word for those types of things. Problem one. The other side of that problem is that love is the centerpiece of our faith as Christians. You see, if we were like, man, you know, there's only one word for eggplant. Who cares? Because eggplants are not at the center of our faith. But because love is at the center of our faith, we can use that word ever how we want to use it. When Jesus said, 
love your neighbor as yourself, of course, there was a religious guy in the crowd who says, well, what does that actually mean? You know, he probably is stroking his beard. You know, could you really break that down theologically, what it means? And Jesus said, look, let me tell you a story. There's a guy that went to walking down the street. He got mugged. A couple guys, religious guys like you, by the way, walked right by him. But here's a Samaritan, whom you guys hate, by the way, and he came along and he took him to a motel and he took care of his needs. He went back. He took all. You see, that's the kind of love I'm trying to talk about because I know you would misjudge how I'm using the word as we might as Christians. We talk about it all the time. So back in the summer, I came up with this little system because we really only have one word for love. Now we have other words like adore, like when we say I love God and I, I, I adore. You know, sometimes God will, uh, guys will say, you know, hey man, I love you, man, right? But it would be weird to say, hey Jeff, I'll see you next week, man. I adore you, man. I'd be like, what? Did he just say he adores me? You know, a little weird. So we're kind of locked into this word. And even it would be weird to say, hey, see you next week, Jeff. I like you, man. You like me? I mean, right? So we're locked in to this word. Now, in the Greek language, in the New Testament, there's three words. But I propose a system, and I proposed this back in the summer for those of you that were here, 13 different words for love. That way, when you're saying you're taught, there's a the distinction between um, uh, crocodiles, uh, Arn Sherbert, your wife, and God. Wouldn't it be cool? Are you in? I mean, come on. Let's go for it. All right. So instead of coming up with words, I just put numbers on these. Now, some of you are going to recognize this system, but let's just say if we said, okay, if I use the word love one, it's only for God. I can't use that for anybody else. I'm not going to love one my wife, love one coleslaw. I'm only going to say, man, I love one God. And everybody were like, yeah, I do too. Because we, we'd have a common ground of how to love too would be for my wife and for my wife only. You see, I would say, or, or your husband, I love to my wife. But sometimes, by the way, those get flipped. Sometimes I love one, my wife, and I love two, God. And God's like, let's review the first commandment, shall we? There should be no other gods before me. You got to love one me and save and reserve a particular shade of love for me, a dimension of love for me. Let's say love three were for a significant other. You're not married yet. You're, you're maybe engaged, you're dating, whatever that may be. And I'll say again that living together or dating is not the same as the love to love. There's difference. Because when you're locked in on love to, 17 years, I'll tell you, they're good days and bad days. I have the good days. She, no. Everybody got, you're really slow this morning. Love, too, hangs in no matter what, works through. It's different. It's an investment. How about love for would be that first mention of I love you. Remember that? And, and when you were younger, it happened to me like when I was in kindergarten. Now, worked up the courage. I'm kidding you. Maybe you think it's weird, really weird. In middle school, you go, you know, I love you. And then she says... Thank you. I'm like, ah, 
hoping for a little. How about if love five were just a crush? Love six were reserved for your children. Love seven was for fun. Man, I love seven Disney movies. I just love seven. How about love eight for mushrooms and tofu? I actually love eight tofu. But I would never say I love eight God or, you know, whatever. But you've got to have one for fanatics. Love nine. Man, I love nine Justin Bieber. I will quit bringing him up. I love nine Alicia Keys or whoever may be your favorite person in music. Love 10 would be only reserved for animals because I had a next door neighbor, no joke, named his Scottish terrier the same first name as his wife. He and the Scottish Terrier are still together. That's pretty good. It worked out pretty good. Love 11 would be a crowd. See, I don't know many of you personally. I love, it'd be like me saying, I love you guys. That's love 11. But now we come down maybe to a smaller group of people. Maybe it's your small group, your act group. And now you begin to develop a little deeper love. Maybe this is, we'll call that love 12. But love 13, now that's a love. That's red zone love. You see, red zone love is the kind of love that we'd like to avoid at times. It says hard things. It does hard things. It's honest. It's real. It's safe enough to be real enough. How many of those do you have? You see, I believe that's what God calls us to when he said, I want you to love 13, that person that just got mugged. And the religious leader says, hey, I have no problem love 11 those guys. 11ing, 11ing. Is that a word? It is now. I have no problem sharing love 11 like, oh, man, you know what? I'm sorry that I see you're mugged. And I definitely am praying for you. God bless you, love 11. And Christ is saying, no, you get your robe and your junk back across the street and love 13, that man. That's what Christ is going for. For that reason, and because it's the centerpiece of our faith, it's worth our time from here to the end of the year to say, what does love 13 look like? What does it smell like? What does it feel like? What does it think like? What motive? What would motivate us to act, really act out love 13? Because watch, Jesus often gives us definers. So we, we're, we're going to look here at uh, John 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. Now, if we stopped right there, we'd say, Aw, I love that, man. I love that verse. It's not a verse about giving. It's not a verse about hell, which are the same for some people. It's not, you know, it's about love one another. But then he blows it by using two words, just as. Darn it. Love one another just as I have loved you so you must love one another. That means that you actually touch people with social leprosy. You just don't wave at them. That means when somebody's beat you to a pulp, whether verbally or physically, and you're hanging on the cross, you say, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. That's 
the love 13. That's when your closest friend like Peter totally misreads the whole project and says something absolutely stupid. And even though everything in you wants to boot him out of the group and reboot somebody else into the group, you go to him and say, would you love me more than these? Love 13 doesn't give up. Now, see, with all this talk about love, it's, it's, um, it's surprising to me. I mean, we sing about it. We read about it. We, it's in the scriptures. It is the commandment. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, it is the chapter on love. And, and the way that chapter is set up, Paul's been talking about spiritual gifts and the things that God uniquely infuses into our life. But then he says, but let me show you the most excellent way, and it's all about love. There's a surprise. If I'm on my deathbed, I'm planning to live to 100. I'm eating a lot of veggies. Um, and if I'm on my deathbed, and I've been in ministry 70 to 80 years, and someone leans over to me and says, hey, you've been a leader in, in God's church all these years. What are the things that surprised you along the way? And I would say, top of the list, here it comes. Don't even have to think about it. We talk so much about love, but at the moment of collision, it's as if we forget everything we know. You see, it's easy to love my wife when she is doing everything I want her to do and acting and we're in accordance and harmony and sitting over and reading anniversary cards and at dinner at, you know, wherever that may be with candlelight and things are going smooth. But I'm telling you, once something gets crisscrossed, as I know, now in 17 years, we've had one argument. You know I'm lying. When those things get crisscrossed, what happens to the love, that, that the kind of love that God calls us to? In the church, over and over and over and over, I walk away shocked because love is the centerpiece, right? I, I, a new command I give you. Not like, know the Bible really well. No, that's not the new command. A new command I give you, seek supernatural power. No, a new command I give you, love one another. Simple. The surprising thing is that when there is a collision, a different way of thinking, a different way of uh, uh, moving, uh, just a stupid, silly disagreement, it just exits the building. Surprising, shocking how that happens. And shocking how I even respond. Shocked at my, I'm like, dude, you know it, right? You know what the command is. And, and you get bent out of shape about something. You think, what happened to that? My proposal to us today is like, love is like an airbag. I'll see you next week. I mean, isn't that profound? You don't know how good it is until you have to test it. Let's take Homeland Security. How good is Homeland Security? Well, when I hear stories of the CIA and the FBI and Homeland Security thwarting a plan, I'm like, cool, it's working. And these guys are trying to filter thousands upon thousands of threats between the real ones and the, and the crazy ones and all that. 
But when it works, you, that's when you know it's working. If there were no threats or collisions or any of that, we wouldn't know whether it works or not. Virus protection on your computer. When it pops up and goes, boop, caught a virus, you're like, wow, it's working. If no virus were coming in, you wouldn't know. My car is 15 years old. I had to look up on the internet, like, were they actually making airbags back in then? And they, they are. They were. And so I actually have an airbag in my little 15-year-old Acura. And if you were to say, how is that airbag? I'm like, thank God, I don't know. Because I've never had to test it. Now, after the first service, I had a lady pull me back and say, hey, I just I want, I want to let you know I got the same car as you. They don't work. <laughs> well, thanks a lot. So I'm going to get some, uh, like a down pillow and some bungee cords and just drive around with that. All this. Would that work? I don't know. She goes, oh, yeah, I had an accident, and all that came out was this crumply powdered, uh, like, old vinyl thing. They probably put lunch bags back in those days. I don't know. But now I'm nervous about driving. But I wouldn't know until I crashed it. And I promise you, you don't know how deep your love is until there's a collision. Then you get to prove it. Then you have a moment, whether it's in your marriage whether it's in your family, your neighborhood, where you work, with your kids, and in church. You see, because here's what happens. When we get crisscrossed with somebody, we begin to, to gravitize our thinking. Is that a word? It is now. Gravitize people in the front and go, not a word, not a word, not a word. In other words, we, we say, man, I got a problem with John. And I hate the way that John said that. And I don't like the way he did that. And blah, 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 blah. And, we just, and all of a sudden, we lose track of everything. You know how it feels. And it's all you can think about, especially when it's your spouse. Don't you think? I mean, when we get crisscrossed, my wife and I, I do what a typical man does. I run into my cave. I go into my office. I pout, and I just start doing a lot more work, somehow more industriously than I normally do. I'm like, you know, there's this like focus. But I got this thing, her, you know, in my mind, and all thoughts are like just gravitized. It's the only word I can think of right now. Just brought down. And what happens is we lose sight of the bigger picture. You see, when I told you that I celebrated my 17th anniversary, there's something that in you that happens, celebrates, right? Like, wow, wow, that's cool. Especially in this culture, that's cool. It impacted you. You see, I may think my marriage, your, you may think your marriage is only impacting you. It's not. When marriages start to go sideways, even within this community, we feel it. I feel it. Others feel it. On the other hand, when marriages start to come on the men that have been at, at, at ends or at, at odds end or they're, it's uh, tangled and they begin to mend and you hear about, hey, have you heard about Jack and, and Mary? And then, man, they're starting to really pull out. and they're, Man, there's this like, cool. They're, it impacts us. So whatever is happening in your marriage, trust me, it impacts 
more than just you and more than just your kids, people around you. When there's a conflict within a church or wherever that may be, it impacts. It's not just this. It's not flesh and blood. There's a bigger program. Remember in Ephesians chapter 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Not, not the human thing that we see but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What happens here affects this. I mean, come on, no matter which aisle that you fall on, which side of the aisle, I mean, aren't we all like, can you get this fiscal cliff thing worked out? I mean, put aside all your just little crabby differences. I mean, maybe that's simplistic, but at least in my little ranch in Sarasota, I'm like in the home office in D.C., just work it out because the implications are global. Can anybody hear us? I would just say your life is the same. Maybe not on an international level, but I'm telling you, your life affects so much more. Now we turn to a story that I can't seem to get off this, this guy, Gideon. And it just keeps giving and giving and giving. And there's a brilliance that, that happens in this story. And let me just, for those that don't know the story, let me kind of bring you up because there's a collision in the story. And I think that Gideon teaches us. We can learn something from Gideon today that I think sinks deep. Here's the way it rolls out. The Midianites in the story were the bad guys. They were harassing Gideon's home country, Israel. And they were beating them up. They were tearing out their crops. They were ravaging the land. They were oppressing them. They, the Israelites were living up in caves. They couldn't even come out. They were so afraid. And we're told in the story that the Midianites were just countless. You couldn't even count them. There were so many of them. The score is about 112 to 2. As God would and always has, he steps in. And he picks a person and says, you're it. Whether it's Moses or Joshua or Peter, in this case it was Gideon, and I'm going to use you to pull us out of this, pull your home country, the apple of my eye, out of this trap that you find yourselves in. So he says, Gideon, here's the plan. I'm going to start giving it to you. But before we do, I got a test for you. I got a lab. I got to see if you're going to have the courage to do what I'm asking you to do. So before we attack this this army of Midianites who are countless, I need you to go to your father. Because he's built these platforms with altars with all these false gods. And I need you to tear it down, son. Wow. So um, Gideon wore the I love chicken shirt because he was chicken. And he went at night so that his dad wouldn't know it was him. But he, at least he had a half an ounce of courage to actually carry it out and do it. And so he went and he tore it down. Sure enough, the next morning came and everybody was in an uproar. And all of Gideon's dad, all of his friends were like, they wanted to kill Gideon. And, and God said, pass the test, son. 
Now I can use you. You know that faithful and few and you'll be used in many bigger things that Jesus taught? That was it right there. And now we can face it. But see, that was part of the plan. And so Gideon started out, as many of you might know, 32,000 men. And so he said, hey, anybody loving the I love chicken, wearing the I love chicken shirt, if you're afraid, you can leave now. 22,000 men left. They were only left with 10,000. He said, okay, I'm going to do the water drinking test. You remember, go down to the water, 9,700, plunged their heads right into the water, non-vigilant, didn't care about the war, missed the bigger picture, and only 300 lapped up the water like this. They were vigilant. They were good soldiers. God said, I'll take them. Plant, that was part of the plan. Brilliant. He said, now here's how we're going to beat the Midianites, the big guys. I want you to take a trumpet. Everybody gets a trumpet. And I want you to take a, a torch because we're going to attack at night. But since this is going to be a sneak attack, I want you to take jars. And these probably were like a ceramic pottery type jar that you couldn't see through like our jars. And, and the reason is they covered the, the torch flame with the ceramic jar so you couldn't see the flame. Pretty simple process, right? Going to sneak up on people. You don't want a big flame going, so you hide the flame. But the flame was still burning underneath the pottery. Do not try this at home. And so God said, look, here's the way we're going to do it. Very specifically, I want you to go at the, at the beginning of the middle watch. Most people believe that's about midnight. When the, the, the guards are changing, it's all in here. You can check it out. Judges chapter 7. When the guards are changing, because see, here's what was happening. Somebody just did eight hours on the shift, and it's midnight. Everybody else, the whole camp is snoozing. And if you're one of the guards that are getting off, you're thinking, oh, man, where's my sleeping bag, dude? I'm gonna need it. I've been a long God said, attack them. They're most vulnerable. And here's what I want you to do. Get in the camp. Break up in three teams of 100. You see how specific God is when he designs a plan? By the way, sidebar, this is where the church has blown it in many ways. Go make disciples. Okay. All righty. That sounds like Jesus. You got to have a plan. You got to have a track. You got to have tools. That's why we work so hard here to say, let's get a real plan instead of frustrating the army and saying, go kill a Midianite. Okay. <laughs> What's the plan? Now, some of you are like, what? I'll describe that another day. We've got a plan to accomplish the thing that Jesus commanded us to do. Go into the world. Make disciples. You got to have a plan. Gideon, 300 men only, trumpets, torches, covered by jars, midnight watch at the changing of the guard, Team three teams of 100 each. And when you get into the camp, it's going to be about midnight. And what I want you to do is when I, on my count, Gideon says, we're going to smash the jars. Think about it. Think how cool this would have been. I mean, if you're a Midianite, not real cool, but if you're sitting there and you're like, hmm, you know, hey, watching guard, all of a sudden, pop, they smash these jars and instantly, boom, 300 torches. What a cool plan. See, this was the predecessor to the flashlight. Because see, if we had flashlight, ready on my count. Go, pink. <laughs> they just couldn't do it back then, right? So we have to have torches and jars. Are you with me? Huh? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Huh? Thank you. All right. It's not complicated. 
It's just kind of ancient and out of style, but it was a flashlight with a jar and a torch and everything. Then start shouting and start playing the trumpets. Watch how brilliant the plan is. Watch this. In the Civil War, there were 2.2 million Union soldiers. Musicians playing the fife and the drum and all that, there were only 28,000. And in each army, there were about 1% of the army, the soldiers, that were musicians with trumpets. Now, if you're a Midianite and you hear 300 trumpets, what are you thinking? That's only 1%. Woo, God is smart. So trumpet playing, shouting, sounds like a good Friday night to me. You know, bottles breaking, you know, fire. These are all things that men just primarily love. (laughs) And the camp went haywire. And at that moment, uh, Gideon, who was from a location, he was an from a, a, he was an Abiziarite. I know that's like who cares, but it comes it plays in the story. That's kind of like us saying we're Sarasotan, right? Is that how you say? Are we Sarasotians? Sarasotans? Sarasotas? Sarasotas? And all of a sudden, they start. The Midianites are going crazy. They're actually hacking at each other because they're so confused. And many of them run. About one hundred thirty-five thousand. We find out later. We pick the story up at this point because now in this part of the plan, this is exactly when Gideon says, okay, now we can call in extra troops. Judges chapter 7, verse 24. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim saying, now come down against the Midianites. This is after the torches and the trumpets and everybody going crazy and the Midianites are running. Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. So all the men of Ephraim were called out and they took to the water. They took the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. They also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. If you read on the story, I've spared you the gory part. They actually cut their heads off and bring them back, almost like a golden retriever, like, hi, Gideon, we got them for you. And so they brought their heads back. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't have said that. You're already freaked out. But may I say to you, and please don't miss this, the battle was not over. I will say it one more time. The battle was not over. If you read in the next chapter, Chapter 8, verse 10, we find out there were 15,000 Midianites still on the run that needed to be taken care of. But here's what happens. It's collision time. You see, when you, fir- when you start pushing an edge and you're, you're winning against the enemy, watch out. When our marriage is at a height, watch out. When we think it's all peaches and cream, watch out. When a church begins to push the edge and say, we're going to be different. We're not just going to hand candy yams out the back of the door and just say, God bless you. We're going to push an edge. We're not going to do it the way we've always done it because there's so many of us that like we've got to make a change. We're not going to tell people to make disciples and, and not give them tools. We're not just going to use it as a great cliche, make disciples, but come on, we never have. 
It's time to say, let's push the edge. And if you're going to push the edge, watch out. There's going to be collisions. The enemy could care less about whatever collision it is. A lot of people go, oh, you know, the, the devil is really working on my marriage. It's not about your marriage. It's about something greater. You see, if I'm playing a football game and uh, the, other, the opposing team fumbles or interception or the quarterback gets sacked or the running back sprains his ankle or whatever, I don't care whatever it was. I really don't care. What I care about is you didn't score. You see, our enemy hates the end zone. Life change. Disciples making disciples who make disciples. Hates it. Could care less what he can use. Apathy, uh, collisions, you name it. Doesn't matter. Your marriage, doesn't matter. If he can occupy you and distract you and do all that, happy as everything. Now, if a church isn't pushing an edge, What's the point of a collision? Who cares, right? Are you with me? I know this is heavy. Great victory, but now watch. Chapter 8, verse 1, Judges 8. Now the Ephraimites, they asked Gideon, why have you treated us this way, like this? Why didn't you call us when you went to fight? How come we weren't part of the plan with the jars and the torches and the cool flashlights? And how come I didn't get a trumpet? And watch, they didn't criticize him. They criticized him sharply. You see, you're working at Starbucks. How come I didn't get to pick the new fall colors for the new mugs that came out? Well, not everybody can pick the colors. It doesn't work that way in an organization. You see, God had a very specific design with brilliance along the way. And even like, okay, at this juncture, we're going to bring in more people. See? See how it works? Now, we could focus there, but this is a collision opportunity to test Gideon again. Is the man going to have Love 13 are just maybe love zero. Watch his response. Now, let me say before we look at his response. If I'm Gideon, dude, and I've been fighting, and I've lost 22,000 chickens out of the army, and 9,700 didn't drink right, so God took care of them. Now I'm starting to get a little attitude with God. Oh, yeah, thanks a lot. They didn't even drink right, so they're out of the army. Now I'm starting to get fussy. Now there's 300 of them. Got these primitive flashlights. Been up all night fighting these people. I mean, you know, you're tired. You've been fighting all night, right? Are you like me? I mean, the guy hasn't gone to bed yet. I don't know when this collision happened. It's probably 6 in the morning by that point. I'm like, you guys are on my case, Right? I mean, that would be me. I, I know you would be better than me, but that would be me. Or how dare you? You weren't part of the plan. God gave me the plan. He called me warrior. Could have gone that route. Love 13, watch. But he answered. Now, 
You know the most important word there? But. You see, I could have... I could answer you like I want to answer, like my flesh and blood want to answer you. But. But he answered, what have I accomplished compared to you guys? Wow, what humility. Aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's, these guys who are complaining that your grapes better than the full grapes of the harvest of Abiezer? That's why I brought it up. My town, you guys, your grapes are better than mine. Your product, your fruit, you're better than I am. God gave Oreb and Zeb, and you cut their heads off, the Midianite leaders, into your hands, not mine. What was I able to do compared to you? What a man. What a man. I love this man. He teaches us. And watch what happens. At this, the resentment against him subsided. There are too many times, and sitting in my office, I'm like, just go say you're sorry, you male moron, right? Our male ego, just, just hit the delete key on your long list of stupid, silly things that she said that don't matter and realize that it was your deal to begin with and march yourself in there, Mr. Love at the centerpiece of your faith and act like it. I'm screaming at myself and I like it. (laughs) I know she did all this, but be the man that God's called you to be. I know this happened, but maybe she were tired, maybe you were tired. I mean, if there was more but in marriage, there'd be a lot better. I'd like to explain that. <laughs> now that's a t-shirt right there for you. I love, I'm stopping right there. I'll do the Christian thing. It's with one T and not, honestly, right? I know some of you are offended. Great. Happy for it. I need to be offended. If there were more howevers in the church of Christ, we'd get a lot more done. I know he said this, did this, I'm speaking in tongues all of a sudden. (laughs) However, love 13 is at the centerpiece. Therefore, delete. You're, You're better than I am. Oh, God, let it be. Oh, God, let it be. And I'll tell you why. It's not so we can be nicer. Because there's a plan. There's a program. There's a task. Watch. Very next verse. Here's why Gideon did it. Gideon and his 300 men. Exhausted. Yet. Keeping up the pursuit. Came the Jordan. And you better believe it. He crossed it. God is saying, I need you guys to do a plan that I can't do. I cannot disciple people on this earth. You got to do it. I've shown what love is. Now you got to show it. You got to do it. 
Because I'm in heaven, you're on earth. You're it right now. And your relationships matter to the bigger program to keep up the pursuit to cross the Jordan. You get it? When Gideon said, oh, time out, guys. You're better. It wasn't just that little collision. When his airbag was tested, he understood the battle wasn't over. We got a bigger job than this thing. You get it? Maybe that's why the rest of John 13 reads like this. A new command I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, what is this? Love 13. By love 13, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Look, let me personalize it to our church. We are pushing the edge. 30 years into it, I'm done with giving some, shoving a box of food in somebody's face and calling it Love 13. Should we give people food? Of course. But see, we have a food pantry. And we say, why don't you come? Let's have a relationship. Can I take you to coffee? Can I have a relationship with you? Then we'll give it to you. We say no to a lot of things or rethink. Let's rethink that. How can we do that more relationally? And if you're rethinking and pushing the edge, we expect tension. I don't like that. Cool, that's all right to not like it. But let's do love 13 on the not like it part. Let's act like what we say we are. Why? Because we're trying to score a touchdown. It's not about I get my way, you get your way. That's Greek. It's a new Greek word. It's all about getting God's job done. People want to buy what they don't have. Have you ever noticed that? I have a can opener at home. You know what I'm not going to shop for this afternoon? A can opener. I have one. You see, the world loves in a different way than we are called to love. I've worked many, many secular jobs. I know how it rolls with backbiting and groupies and all that stuff. But see, God is saying, man, they'd buy what, if you live it out, they'll buy it because they don't have it. And I'm reminded as we close how the Midianite army, the world's army, failed. When they attacked, when, the, when Gideon attacked the, the camp, watch this. When the 300 trumpets sound, Judges 7.22, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other. That's how they lost. Are we any different than that? Is your marriage any different from those that don't know Christ? Can we actually get a job done? Have points of disagreement? and yet see the big picture, the, the end zone beyond the Jordan. I believe we can. I believe we can. But you'll never know <clears throat> how your airbag is until it's tested. 
So prepare yourself to say, I'm digging deep. I'm going to go love 13. And we will be a church. You'll be a marriage. You'll be a relationship. You'll be a boss that God has called you to be. Let's pray. God, thank you for, for this message to us. God, we claim that we understand that love is at the centerpiece, God, the central place of our faith. Love God, love people. For God so loved the world, a new commandment I've given to you, love one another. We haven't had just to read about it, God. We, get, we got to see it in action. A savior on a cross being beaten to a pope saying, Father, forgive them. They're unaware of the bigger picture and he loved them. It's fine, God, to sing about love. It's fine, God, to read about love. But what will our love look like What will our love look like when we collide? Will we turn and run? Will we gather another ear? Will we we send a, a, a hateful email? Will we bear resentment? How will that play out? Or will we say, but... There's a bigger plan. In our relationships, God, when we have those moments that can sometimes turn into chapters, which can sometimes turn into novels, where our wires get crisscrossed, would we be the Gideon (laughs) that would be the first to step up and say, but you're greater. And our marriage is going to And our relationship is going to impact others if somebody steps up and humbles themselves. Oh, the impact that would make. And the waiting world that surrounds us that is desperately hoping to look in to God's people for something they don't have. God, may we live up to the people that we claim that we are. Not only when things are smooth, but when things get crisscrossed. May we live up to that and live out truly a love 13 just as Christ loved us. In his name, amen.